This is a one and all media podcast. Having done a little research, I want to rapid fire through the first part of this because I think it's important given the present cultural condition and the disagreements between culture that we look at three things. One, the theology of singleness, and then two, the advantage of singleness that come right out of scripture, and three, the rules for dating. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to today's program. You may have caught some of this new series called Powerhouse about building your home into a powerhouse based on God's plan. If you want to catch up and listen to all of the episodes in this series, you can find the whole series wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines. For today, we're hearing the rest of a message from 1 Corinthians on the theology of singleness, the advantages of singleness, yes, to my single friends listening, there are advantages, and some rules for dating. Don't tune out. This message is for everyone, whether you're single, married, or divorced. There's something to be gained from this episode. Here's Pastor Jeff. What are the advantages of singleness? You say, Pastor Jeff, why why would I want to be single? You're able to give undivided attention to the kingdom of God. You're not pulled between two incredibly important, important realities. But you know the second thing? If you're single, your offspring has no boundaries. What? Let me read to you from Mark 10. Jesus says, truly I say to you, no one who has left home, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fills for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. What's he talking about? Well, this combats the idea that if I don't get married, I won't have a family. You'll have a much larger family and have a greater potential to go deeper with many more people. As a single person, you've got much more time to invest in a much wider family than you could ever imagine. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. When I lived in Africa, there was a lady by the name of Hazel Mansell from New Zealand. and She came to Africa at the call of God and started a little Sunday school called Makakoba Sunday School in the town of Bulawayo. And this Sunday school was just a Sunday school. There wasn't a church service attached to it. It was just a Sunday school. And kids from all over, orphans, kids, kids who had no families, kids who had no no guardians, kids that were just on the street, and kids from families all would come together every Sunday, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And all she would do is be mother to them, teach them. And now, 50 years later, someone has done a recent study of how many came out of that little Sunday school program to be pastors and teachers and missionaries all over the world. There will be a large group of people meet Hazel Mansell in heaven. She was a mother to so many. And the point, folks, is simply this. If you who are single will just look over the way in your mind's eye and realize that you have so many children over there. And look around that you have so many brothers and sisters that if you will take the chance to get to know, will be a wider and more exhaustive family. Because as a family man, I don't have that kind of time. My time is with a select few. 
your time, you can go deeper and more often with more people in your singleness. The family of God. So there are advantages to this. First, your attention is undivided. Second, your offspring has no boundaries. You have the largest family in the world. Your brothers and sisters are truly as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. And this is the third part I want you to understand, that your ministry is uniquely effective. There are some things that God can use you as a single person that he can't use a married person. God knows that. He's a smart investor. If God needs somebody to pick up everything and go to Africa right now, chances are high he's not going to call a man away from his wife or a wife away from her husband. But if you're single, you're in a position on the chessboard where he can move you to a greater mobility. That's when you start looking. Rather than complaining about your singleness, ask God what great mission he has for you in this time of your life. And it also gives you an opportunity to be a great testimony to people concerning purity, how you're able to live the life that you live in your singleness. That's why Paul wrote a letter to young Timothy and said this, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So that the bottom line of singleness means that singleness doesn't necessarily make anybody better suited for ministry. It's not better than being married, just as being married is not better than being single. And as I thought about this, I thought someone like Jeff Vines would have never been used so profoundly by God if it were not for his wife, Robin, who supports, sharpens, and takes him behind the woodshed when necessary. <laughs> but nor would someone like John Stott. Do you know who John Stott is? One of the greatest theological treaties concerning the cross of Jesus Christ, prolific writer. Nor would someone like John Stott, who is single, he would have been so profoundly used by God if it wasn't for his singleness, enabling him to give himself so deeply to so many people in so many places. And then can I mention some others? Have you ever heard of Mother Teresa? How about Joni Erickson Tata? You say, well, she was married, but she did amazing ministry long before she was married. And Elizabeth Elliot, perhaps her most effective ministry occurred in her singleness. So first, your attention is undivided. Second, your offspring has no boundaries. Third, your ministry is uniquely effective. In other words, you can have everything that married people possess in a uniquely single way. You can have family. It is possible to have a greater number of children and spiritual relatives with whom you can spend quality time. Ministry, it is possible to achieve so much more in the kingdom of God because of your undivided attention without distraction. And intimacy, it is possible to go much deeper with a greater number of very good friends. That's why the apostle Paul calls singleness a gift. Really? 1 Corinthians 7, 7. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. Now, what's amazing about this? Let me just take a side note here. A lot of people think, well, I'm single, so I can't be a pastor. I'm single, I can't be involved in ministry to married people. The one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament was single. The one who told us more about marriage was single. It's not about your marriage status. It's about the depth of your character and how Christ has changed you on the inside, and people will notice. That's why... Christopher Yawn, in a great new book called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, says, living out singleness as a gift doesn't mean you won't struggle with sexual temptations or with loneliness. They're both a reality of life, not just for single women or men, but for married as well. 
Paul's main message in 1 Corinthians 7 is that whatever life condition we find ourselves in, whether married or unmarried, it's our call to salvation, our call to Christ that matters most. This reality must be our daily anchor through every storm of life. Okay. Pastor Jeff, I got it. By the way, can I just say again, man, when people tell me the Bible is archaic, I just say, man, you have no idea. You've never read the Bible. You have no idea what it does in liberating singleness. Women, men, you got no idea. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. Now I'm going to have some language here. Not bad language, but clear language. Because if I don't, I've learned in the past, nobody gets what I'm saying. So there are some of you out there saying, dude, I'm single and I don't want to be. And I just got to be honest, Pastor Jeff, I want sex. Now, this is where I want to be honest with you. To a great degree, you have to get to the point where you understand that you have been tainted by Western culture. To a great degree, culture has carved you into its mold. 50 years ago, according to research that has been done, and I remember reading an article in the Orange County Register, and I've mentioned this before, 50 years ago, a man would see somewhere between two and four beautiful women in his entire lifetime. Today, he sees an average of 30 to 40 in 24 hours through magazines, the media, television, whatever it is. We are a culture enamored with sex. Sex is the pinnacle of life according to our culture. If you're not having sex, you're not living. It is the ultimate. And in a culture like that, I think Paul anticipated something like this because he says in Colossians 2, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds and hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And the first thing he mentions is sexual immorality. So I have to ask you, if you're one of these guys or girls that is, you're just a nab, it's on your mind, you think, I got to find a wife or a husband so that I can participate in this. Well, first of all, most of you don't think you need to find a husband and wife. You just participate in it anyway. That's another problem that I'll get to. But for now, what I ask you is a simple question. What are you watching? You think your entertainment habits don't affect you? What are you reading? What are you setting your mind on? What's on your iPhone and your iPad and the websites you visit? In heaven's name, what do you think your mind's going to go to? Of course the hormones are flying. You're bombarding your mind in overdrive with one particular thing. I mean, if you looked at chocolate cake all day, I guarantee you're going to have some by the end of the day. It's the power of the mind. And if you don't have a good filtering system, of course your mind is going to constantly drift to having sex. Especially when you live in a culture that is unlike many cultures where it's the idea, it is the topic. You get bombarded with it. Everything around you, listen, everything around you, especially guys, is putting you in a pre-launch condition. Everything around you. And you're absorbing it all because there's no discipline in your life and you're not setting your mind on the higher things. It also means that if you're going this route, that there's a certain sense of your willingness to give in to the idolatry of Western cultures. You're believing the lie, which ultimately, ultimately means two things. Number one, you've not encountered Jesus yet at a worldview level. And two, 
You have completely conformed to a world system that is governed by the prince of the power of the air. So of course he wants to destroy you. And it means that the family of God, the church of God, and your future hope is not enough for you yet. Because the ultimate intimacy is the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I'm telling you, it is possible to set your mind on the higher things. And if you set your mind on the higher things, then the more real what is truly real becomes, the more resolve you will find to live with eternity in mind. You with me? See, the reason you're so weak is because you're setting your mind on the wrong things. The reason we make excuses for each other is because you haven't had a conversion at the Jesus worldview point yet. Either the word of God is the word of God, not arbitrarily given, or you decide. And there's no ramifications for any decision that you make. And what I say to young people who are single that God is using, who are tempted, heavily tempted in this area, is that you've got to do everything you can to make Jesus, his kingdom, his people, and his promises real to you. And the way you do that is through the sacraments, through prayer, through corporate worship, through communion, through baptism, those things. So that the word and the spirit give you a sensitivity to purity that strengthens your resolve to be like Christ. The deeper you are in intimacy with Christ, the less appealing the things that violate him will be to you. The less intimate you are with Christ and the word and his people, the more appealing those things will be. And that's why Paul says, set your mind on the higher things. Now, so I say to all singles, praise God for your wonderful gift in this season of your life. In this season of praise God for your wonderful gift. However, if you're one of those says, all right, I got it, Jeff, but I got to tell you, I just want to be married. There's nothing wrong with that either. Okay. I'm me and I want to, I want a husband. And I'm a, I'm a guy, I want to, I, that, I just, well, great, that's the call on your life then. So let me give you three quick rules for dating. Number one, don't be equally yoked. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, do not be equally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. Now, what's he talking about? Is this like a hate all people kind of thing? No, the imagery is two oxen pulling against each other. They're just different, and they're never going to come to an agreement. And when Jesus tells you something like this, he does it because he he knows how life works. So why would you start dating someone that you're ultimately not going to marry? Why would you do that? You say, well, I'm going to pray for God to change him or her. Well, then, okay, but wait till God changes them, then start dating them. Listen, if you talk to any woman or man in this room, 99.9% who went down this road, they're going to tell you, don't do it. Why? It's this simple. And we never talk about this. It's this simple. The more you grow in love with Jesus, the more you're going to grow away from your spouse. And let me tell you how husbands and wives look at spouses. This is 35 years of marriage counseling. When you grow deeper into your relationship with Christ, they're going to see that as adultery. Three reasons. One, Christ and his church are too powerful a mistress. When you say, honey, I'm going to church again, I'm going to Bible study again, I'm going to do my life group again, it comes to a point where they say, man, you're cheating on me. No, they literally think, not not literally with the physical side, but they're thinking, you love church more than me. You love the people of God more than me. You love your Bible more than me. And they're right. So the more you grow in love with Jesus, 
the more you grow away from your spouse to a real degree. Now you're going to, I know the apostle Paul gives you information. Hey, uh, stay in the relationship. And he does. Once you're married, stay there. But he also says, don't do it. Don't do it. Because what does light have to do with darkness? Two, let me tell you something. To be intimate, truly intimate is to be fully known. You cannot be truly and fully intimate with somebody who does not fully know you. And somebody who's not a Christian and somebody who is, there is no way they can completely and fully know you. That's why the Hebrew Bible uses the word know in replacement of sexual intimacy. Did you know that? Adam knew his wife and children were born. Full and complete intimacy is to be fully known by the other person. That can never happen when one person is completely and fully in the, in the arms of Jesus, lives for Jesus, and the other person does not because they simply don't understand who you are. Third, a house divided will not stand. You have no idea how you're going to exasperate your kids. One's got one worldview. The other's got another worldview. They will conflict. They'll be confused. They will grow up frustrated and exasperated. And so when he gives you this advice, these guidelines, he's trying to tell you, you do this to your own detriment. There is a reason that you're not unequally yoked. Don't join together tightly. It doesn't mean don't hang out with unbelievers. That's ridiculous. It doesn't mean not, don't have relationships. Don't go to coffee. Don't help people far from God come near to God. It doesn't mean don't love people who are different than you. It just means, hey, marriage is a pretty big deal. Don't join together that way. Second rule for dating. Don't be so picky. Picky, picky, picky. That's the problem with some of you men. My first youth pastor, Bill Kirshner, was 33 years old. He came to New Zealand to work with us. And almost every week, we'd have coffee. And he'd say, Jeff, I just want to be married so badly. You know, I want a, I want a woman like Robin. I, you can't have her. No, I, I mean, that's what I want. I, I want somebody like, and I said, no, no, describe to me what you want, Bill. Tell me what you want. And after he finished describing the woman he was looking for, I said, Bill, you're looking for Mother Teresa in Jennifer Aniston's body. And let me tell you two things. Number one, she doesn't exist. And number two, if she did, she wouldn't date you. And when I do ask you, I ask young men, who are you looking for? If I could summarize it, it's well, I'm looking for somebody with a PhD who used to be an astronaut with a background in fashionly modeling. I mean, come on, man. In other words, you don't want to get married. Somebody said, if you look at people who might be spouses and rule them out because they are not perfectly thin or amazingly put together or they don't have a wonderful salary, if you do that, you are just as much into the idolatry of the world than much of Western society. And the reason is because you value the wrong thing. Now, there has to be some attraction. There's got to be, I mean, come on, there's got to be some attraction. But attraction can grow over time. Your first initial judgment should be, is this person in love with Jesus? And then the, that's what dating is for, to get to know each other a little better and to see if there is an attraction. Hey, attraction takes time. Ask my wife. She wasn't, she didn't date me because she was incredibly attracted to me, as much as I'd like to tell you that. She dated me because she saw something in me that God was going to do, and that attracted her. Amen. And finally, three, seek approval from spiritual mentors. Exactly. This is a big one. You say, well, I don't have a spiritual mentor. Oh, problem number one. <laughs> You've got to have somebody that's objective coaching you through this because something happens. When you meet somebody, your heart starts to flutter and your brain shuts down. You're not thinking 
And so you need somebody around you to tell you, stop it. You know, I dated the same girl in high school for four years. Four years. And you know, all my friends, I mean, I remember my mother seated on her bed crying because I wouldn't listen. And my friends, even my secular friends said, Jeff, what are you doing with her? And of course, I was so enamored with her looks, my brain had shut down. And I had my, even my secular friends saying, look, I'm not a Christian, Jeff, but I know you are. And what are you doing with this girl? This is not who you want to marry. My grandparents told me that. My pastor told me that. But your brain shuts down. It was not until my father took me in the back room and said, look, that suddenly my eyes were open because I had so, so much respect for my dad, but he was quiet for a long time, probably hoping I would come to that conclusion on my own. And daughters, for those of you who have a Christian father, the chances are high he's been praying for your husband for a long, long time. Okay, can I tell you something about your dad? He has a built-in discernment mechanism when it comes to guys. He has this little lazy detector in him. When you bring him to the door, he's going to be looking. Does he look him in the eye? What's he talk about? He's got, God gave him a lazy detector. He knows if you marry this guy, you're going to be working to support him all your life or if he's going to really be a good spiritual leader for you and is going to take good care of you and you of him. Lazy detector. Listen to your father. If he's a Christ follower, now don't let him determine everything, but if he's a Christ follower, give him an audience. Because I sat in the corner of my daughter's bedroom all of her life from the time she was about four years old and prayed, God, when the right one comes along, give me the message that I can affirm. So any of you young guys who have seen my beautiful daughter, don't think about showing up at my door and saying, God has sent me. Because... <laughs> Because I know, I know. You say, but, but Pastor Jeff, dads are so old. Yeah, they're old, but Job 12, 12 says, is not wisdom found among the ages. The aged does not long life bring understanding. And for us dads, it does. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be so picky. Seek approval from spiritual mentors. And you will save yourself a lot of the pain the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, some of you in the room are going to be saying this. Hey, I married a believer and it didn't work. Hey, there's no guarantee. Even if you do everything right, there's no guarantee because people stop acting like believers. But that doesn't mean you go and say, well, since that didn't work out, I'm going to try the unbeliever where I know there's going to be problems. How much sense does that make? But the primary message, the primary message in this weekend of singleness is that one day there's going to be a wedding banquet yes, sir. and you want to be there Amen. because all your hopes and dreams and your desires of unconditional love and acceptance and all those things deep down inside you know that are real. The Bible says at the wedding feast of the Lamb, those are going to become a reality. And as beautiful as marriage is and as beautiful as singleness is, all of those are penultimate to the great wedding feast. You want to be there. And to be there, the Bible says, you've got to come to a point when you realize you indeed are flawed but there's a Savior who forgives you and invites you into a family that you can never be booted out of. So come on. Father, thank you today for your love. I pray for every single person in this room, no matter what age, that their eyes would be open to the reality that there is an advantage, there is a gift, there is a unique opportunity. But if they choose to marry, they have not sinned. They have done a good thing. And marriage is a wonderful, beautiful thing. Only help us to receive the gift that we have in the present.
and to use it to its fullest potential until you decide that it is time for us to change. Father, I praise you for the great banquet. I praise you that we have this celebration to look forward to where we will be with the family of God and that the lover of our soul will spend eternity with us in Christ's name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.